Welcome to another episode of F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. This is episode 69 with David Nilsson. David entered a photo contest over on viewbug.com and won uh, the photo contest. And as a reward, he got to get an interview on the podcast, which I was really happy to do. Um, David's a great photographer. Um, he does a lot of uh, surf and water photography, as well as landscape photography. And we had a great talk about that. We also, um, towards the end of the podcast, um, if you hang in there, we got to talking a lot about some really cool topics, which I think uh, you guys will appreciate uh, this week. Um, the Insta Repeat Instagram account made another appearance, so that was fun. Uh, hope you enjoy this week's podcast with David Nilsson, and uh, thanks to all the people supporting the podcast on Patreon. It means a lot to me, and I uh, promise there's going to be new rewards coming out soon for all of you guys. So. Thanks for sticking with me and for uh, financially supporting us. It means the world to me. Have a great one. Awesome. Well, uh, David Nilsson, thanks so much for uh, joining me on F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. No problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's uh, it's my pleasure. Um, you know, it's cool. I actually reached out to uh, Viewbug, which we'll talk a little bit later, but they do a ton of photo contests, and um, I'm a member of that site. And uh, I reached out to them and I was like, hey, you know, I thought it would be a cool idea if we did a contest where uh, people could submit like a unique photo from a unique location that wasn't uh, something people maybe haven't seen before or a unique take on a location, because that's kind of one of the things I'm really into. And uh, the reward for the contest would be a podcast interview and uh here we are today. You won the contest. Um, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I'm stoked. Yeah, man. So uh, the photo that uh, the photo that won was a um, was this photo that you took in New Hampshire during fall colors. And uh, if I could describe it uh, to the listeners, and I'll and I'll post a link to it in the liner notes. But it's a uh, this really cool scene of fall colors and this like hillside area with these railroad tracks and uh, if i'm not mistaken you had a dog with you and it was just like kind of you and your dog experiencing this really amazing fall colors day in new hampshire which i personally have never seen myself so i was just i really enjoyed seeing that photo it, it kind of spoke to me it told a story um which i think is super important for landscape photography nowadays so tell me a little bit about the photo and what inspired you to to take it yeah um i had actually i was actually staying in vermont at the time and uh in the photo was uh my friend chris who i'd met when i was studying abroad in fiji and since i was up north i was like hey, hey man like i'm probably like a few hours away from maine would you want to meet like maybe halfway in new hampshire and go hiking i went up for the foliage i've been trying to take pictures and uh he ended up having some time off so i woke up at like four or five in the morning and met him uh in New Hampshire in the White Mountains. And I looked online at a few spots that I saw that I wanted to photograph. And he's like, all right, well, we're going to do this hike. But uh, if you want to catch that one early, um, I know where it is. And I think when I looked later, the trail we went on actually wasn't even the trail I looked at. But we <laughs> hiked. It was a really short hike, just straight up. And then we got to these railroads, like in the middle of this, this notch. And it was full of color. I got really lucky with Peak that year. I had a week to take off, and that happened to be when peak was. 
Um, so I met Chris and that that's actually him in the photo and his dog. Um, his dog's name was Taz and he, he was like, yeah, he's getting old, older, but he's my hiking buddy, man. I take him everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So when you, when you snap the frame, like, uh, what, what story was speaking to you about, uh, what you saw through the camera? Um, to me, it was like, Chris had a really interesting background because the, uh, that past summer he had just hiked the Appalachian trail. So I was like, Oh man, dude, like he had it like in the photo, he has his hiking stick that he had on the trail <laughs> and, uh, his dog with his hiking buddy. I was like, Oh, like this scene right here is probably just like his weekend of what he does. And I'm getting to experience it right now. And I'm stoked because this is amazing. And this is just his every weekend, just climbing up to the train tracks, taking a break, looking out and his dog hanging with him. And I guess that's kind of what I was trying to like get in the picture. And I think I accomplished it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, there was probably, gosh, there was probably like 20,000 photos submitted to that contest. And uh, I don't know, for some reason yours stood out to me because it was a, uh, it was a, of a, kind of a composition I'd never seen before. Um, and I just, I don't know, there's something about a man and his dog going on an epic hike that just tells like a story that I think we can, we can all relate to. So um, I really, I really appreciated it. Um, and then of course I did a little bit of due diligence and uh, before I selected you as a winner, I was checking out some of your other work and uh, I was super impressed. Like most of your work, has nothing is so so dissimilar to that shot it's a lot of um seascapes and photos of really awesome waves and surf photography um so i was hoping you could we could talk a little bit about uh about that um but but before we do that i was hoping you know maybe you could tell us just like a little bit about yourself as a photographer because um it seems like you're kind of one of those guys that flies under the radar a little bit which there's so many of those kind of people out there in photography nowadays, but um, I think you got a pretty cool body of work. So uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself um, as a photographer and kind of how did you get into uh, this surf photography stuff? Yeah, um, well, I guess I started shooting almost 10 years ago at this point and uh, just got a camera for my 18th birthday and just start just started shooting. And I've always lived up the street from the beach my whole life and i had a bunch of friends that surfed and they were just like hey man like would you mind taking some pictures of me surfing and i started out doing that and i was absolutely terrible at it <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> my friends were really stoked and just having photos of themselves so I, it gave me enough to continue to want to do that um so like I, I didn't even realize like the whole culture of surfing when I first started because like I surfed when I was like a kid, but then I kind of skateboarded more. Um, and then I got into I got into surfing after photography because I just shoot the whole time. And then if the waves weren't that great, I'd grab my hand play and go body surfing. But I literally started from scratch and ended up like saving up for a water housing and everything. And I, the first time I swam out. I was completely inexperienced. I had a Canon Rebel and a kit lens in a water bag housing. It was just a plastic bag that you rolled up so water didn't get in. I had my brother's fins and I swam out in November when the water was like 50, 55 degrees and pretty cold. <laughs> and sh 
shot like my first like good photo then and I was hooked. Then I got washed in and I couldn't get back out and I broke one of the fins. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So that's like, that's funny because, uh, I personally, uh, I'm, I'm just not a huge water person myself. So every time I see people, uh, when they have these awesome photos of, of waves and surfers and stuff like that, I, I can recognize from the composition that you're right there with them in the surf, um, getting knocked around with your camera equipment. And I'm just like the whole, every time I see one of those photos, I'm just shaking my head like, nope, that's not me. <laughs> so, so like, what is it like to, to take photos like that uh, in the, in the, in the surf, in the cold? Like, are you wearing like a wetsuit or dry suit? Like, how do you, like, what is your approach to taking shots like that? Yeah. Well, on the East coast, like the temperature is pretty unique. We get from board short weather to where the water is 75, 80 degrees to the winter where it drops to freezing. Like I think last winter it dropped down to 29 and the ocean actually started to freeze. There was slush in the ocean and the best waves we get in the winter. So I'm in a five millimeter wetsuit. I, I used to wear uh, wetsuit boots, but that like, they're not meant for swimming at all. So they would kill my feet with the fins on them. And eventually I found a uh, bodyboarding sock. So I'll wear a pair of three mil with five millimeters over them and then extra large fins cause they need to fit over the socks and then five millimeter gloves, which they make way warmer, but I can't get them warmer cause I need all five fingers to actually pull the trigger and I can't use mittens that are warmer. <laughs> and you're talking about uh, neoprene. Yeah. Um, just any like surf brand of wetsuit. I've been I've been using Hyperflex because uh, they're relatively inexpensive, and uh, I tend to go through them pretty quickly because like I'll surf and I'll shoot, so I'll be in and out of that thing three times in a day <laughs> in January. Jeez. So so when you're out on a shoot like that, I I'm just envisioning when you're out there in the water. I'm I'm like for myself anyway because uh, I don't think I'd be very good at it, but. I'm guessing that you're out there for a pretty extended period of time. And, and, uh, again, this is just my personal imagination, but, uh, you're out there and you probably take like 5 billion photos. And then like, cause you know, the, the waves all are, every wave is different. Every, uh, interaction the surfer has with the wave, I'm assuming is different. And you're just looking for that, that special composition where, where you can kind of see that relationship with the surfer and the wave and everything just comes together in your composition. I would love to hear, like, how do you, how, how do you see a scene like that? It's a lot of just practice and then just knowing the ocean and knowing like the bottom and how the wave's going to break because every beach in New Jersey breaks a little bit different. Some are going to kind of mush out and not be very photogenic. And then some are going to curl and just, create great barrels that make great photos and the ones that curl tend to be shallower spots so it, it generally going from deeper to shallower quickly and then you'll get that really nice curl and that tends to be the better surf spot um so i've spent the past like eight years driving all over new jersey and i guess every surfer is pretty much a, a self-proclaimed forecaster too so at this point like when i like look on the website and see some and like see a swell coming up. I have an idea where I'm going to go and kind of what that wave does and kind of the kind of shot I'm going to get. 
And then the gear is a whole different thing because I used to shoot with a 7D and then you're getting eight frames per second. Now I shoot with a 5D and I'm getting five. So yeah, I've really had to nail my timing more as the time has gone on. Gosh, I'm curious. Uh, you know, as landscape photographers, I think a lot of us are used to, um, there's so many uh, elements that have to go right in order for the shot that you have pre-envisioned to actually work. Um, so for landscape photographers, you're, success rate i feel like is i mean if you're at like 25 to 30 percent success rate as a landscape photographer in terms of going out into the field and nailing the shot you envisioned you're you're like doing super good (laughs) so i'm curious as a surf photographer um what does that what does that percentage look like in terms of your success rate um when you go out into the field to keep to capture shots it's real. It's really hard, um, especially on the East Coast, just because a landscape you always know that landscape's going to be there. It's just a matter of nailing the conditions you want. But what I'm trying to nail is the conditions for there to even be waves in the first place. So then, once you worry about there being waves, it's like, all right, is it going to be overcast all day? Am I even going to get any window of good lighting? And then the time of the year is a whole separate thing. Where is the sun going to be, and how can I get it? Because the, you can plan it for the sun to be in the perfect spot and shoot a wave, and it can be completely flat that day, and you can't shoot at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's. Uh, I guess that's probably how uh, wedding photographers feel too. <laughs> uh, yeah, but man, yeah. it must be frustrating when you when you put all the planning in, and you go out there, and then it just you come home with nothing. Yeah. I mean, usually I'll come home with something. Um, it just won't necessarily be what I planned because I'll get there and the conditions might be a little different. I was, I was hoping it was going to be nice out and it's like cloudy and I'll get more moody photos and I'll just try to work with what I have. Um, there's some photographers that I've seen that have absolutely like nailed it in terms of conditions where it's like they got the curl, the wave, the sun right through the middle of it. It's just like, wow, that's <laughs> planning and luck all coming together. Oh, for sure. Um, that's, I feel like that happens in, in all kinds of photography. I mean, there's enough people out there taking photos uh, and doing their research. You're going to, someone's going to come away with a shot like that. I'm just curious though, like how do you, as a surf photographer, how do you maximize your chances of nailing the shot that you're hoping to get? Um, a lot of time on the computer and just getting ready for, a swell because it's going to come on a day and I may have work that day. I may not be able to get to shoot that day. But for me, like I've always just tried to maximize my time in the ocean so I can always kind of get a shot I'm looking for because you, you may go into it and just you're looking for a shot and like the swell didn't line up the way you thought it would. The waves aren't breaking the same way, but you come out with something that you're like, whoa, I didn't think like that. That's what I've liked about the ocean. It's just a land, like if you research a landscape location, the location isn't going to really change. Um, just the weather around it and the conditions will. But a wave is different every single time. Anytime you look at a lake, no two waves are exactly alike. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's what I've noticed anyway from looking at people like your your work. It seems like every wave has a different kind of character to it, which is... Um, totally different than than a landscape or 
or like the night sky because you know like okay the milky way is going to be right there or this this constellation is going to be right there at this time but a wave it's like it's super dynamic so um it seems like there's a lot of variables that are outside of the control of the photographer which i don't know it seems like seems like that that might be kind of exciting to some degree yeah Oh yeah, I I love it. That's why it's kept me continuing to shoot waves because like I could go out today and I can get the best photo because all the conditions can align, and and it's kind of kept me coming back. Whereas like I I also enjoy landscape photography because I can do a lot more planning where the ocean pretty much throws all my plans out the window and it's like all right I'm gonna get to shoot what this is gonna provide today. <laughs> so the lesson is for all the landscape photographers listening is that um, it, yes it can be worse. <laughs> yeah uh i mean there, there's been days where i've gotten out of the water and i'm freezing i can't feel my feet but i'm i have a smile ear to ear because i know i walked away with like a great shot where like all right we're gonna remember this swell because people are gonna see that shot and they're gonna be stoked on it absolutely well i noticed on uh i noticed on your website that you um you've kind of dabbled a little bit in underwater photography and um, you even have some uh, questions that you answer on your website under your FAQs where people are asking you questions about, uh, like, your approach to that in terms of technical um, aspects, which was all over my head because I don't do any underwater photography because I have no desire to damage my camera. So I guess my question is, um, like, if someone was to get into underwater photography, like, what what is it that they need to think about in terms of gear, um, in terms of what it is they need to prepare for? How do they uh, how do they even get into underwater photography, if that makes sense? Yeah, um, water photography is underwater photography is really cool. Um, to get into it, uh, obviously you need a waterproof housing. Um, I know, I know, um, Aquatech is a big company that makes them. I actually have have an Essex that. Uh, they don't make housings anymore. But the big thing you're going to need is um, a wide angle lens and a dome port. And then you'd want to use autofocus because I don't know too much into the science of it, but I know um, with the dome, it kind of reflects what's underwater and you're shooting like a mirror reflection. Um, but it, it comes out really cool underwater when um, you have clear water. Um, I've done most of my underwater photography in Fiji and you can almost see a football field underwater there. Um, I've mostly done waves, but, uh, I have friends out there that they do wedding portraits underwater and they'll have, they'll go out and they'll, uh, take people to do their wedding portraits and have them dive under waves at a spot called cloud break. And then you get this really cool wave in the background and the, in the reef, and then they'll do, be doing a trash, the dress, uh, shoot where, uh, they're both dressed in, uh, their, uh, tux and dress and they come out really cool. Um, <laughs> That sounds awesome. So I think you said a dome, like uh, talk to me like I'm five because uh, when it comes to underwater housings and stuff like that, I have no idea what any of the terminology is or anything like that. And I'm guessing a lot of the people listening might not, although I know there's probably a few people out there that are like totally on, like have it figured out, but um, kind of walk us through like, when you were first getting into it, like what are some of the stuff that you learned about that helped you uh, get prepared to, to take your first underwater shot? Yeah, um, 
there's a lot that goes into shooting in the water. Um, let me first address uh, dome port. Uh, what a dome port is, is um, you need a different type of lens port on the housing to shoot each kind of lens you have. And a dome port is what you use when you use a wide angle or a fisheye lens, and it's basically shaped like a dome, whereas a flat is just like flat plexiglass. Oh. Um, so I, I'd use a dome for fisheye shots. And why I addressed autofocus is because when I first started shooting, I just always shot an autofocus and never thought anything of it. But when there is so there's so much moving in the ocean that it could eat like a water drop could easily throw your focus off completely when you're in a wave. Um, so what I learned to do then is uh, I'd set my focus about three feet of a distance from where I was in my fisheye lens, put it to manual and tape it. So I knew my focus wasn't going to get thrown off by any water drops. Like it was always going to be perfect about three feet, which is fisheye uh, pretty much. You don't want to be too much further away from your subject than that. Right. Otherwise, they're going to be tiny. <laughs> yeah, and I've had plenty of shoots where I've been shooting surfing and I'm way too far away and I'm shooting fisheye and <laughs> there's nothing I can do. Yeah, it's like, uh, oh, there, there's my subject. It's a tiny little speck. <laughs> yeah, and with wide angle, you may be able to get away with it a little more, but the fisheye, just, you can't even crop it. You're, it. It's just a garbage photo at that point. Yeah. So like, I'm assuming you're shooting in manual and whatnot. So like, uh, I've never even like applied my knowledge of, of the exposure triangle to shooting underwater. So how does shooting underwater affect the exposure triangle? Like I'm assuming there's less light in general. So you're kind of having to boost your ISO a bit. Um, Talk us through, like, what are the, some of the setting changes that you have to do in order to get a successful photograph? Yeah, um, that's something I have to deal with um, with my housing as well, because I have a housing built for a 5D Mark II and I have a 5D Mark III. So all I can change on in the water is my shutter and the shooting mode. So I, I try to preset a lot of my settings and um, I'll put at least one shooting mode to auto ISO. ISO. Uh -huh. um, the lighting all depends on what time of day it is. And if you like, when I was shooting a cloud break, very often the sun was right where the wave was breaking. So I actually wouldn't need to compensate that much because I was shooting right towards the sun. Um, if it's overcast a bit more, I'd say your shutter, you really wouldn't want to put it um, much below like 1 800th or 1 1,000th because then you're going to start to get blur because the waves are moving very fast. So you'd more want to compensate. And everything in the water too, right? Yeah. Um, you'd more want to compensate with your aperture and ISO. But for shooting wide angle, again, like my fisheye really wouldn't want to push it below 6.3. Why is that? Um, just because that's where you get the best um, range of almost everything in focus. Okay. So it's just kind of like the sweet spot for that yeah. particular lens. Because I... Cause I know I've shot a lot of wide angle images in my day and I've done everything from shooting at F4 to shooting at F16 and, um, you know, put up 95% of my shots are on a tripod. So like, you know, shutter speed isn't necessarily as important to me, um, as a landscape photographer, unless I'm trying to use the shutter speed to accentuate, uh, certain elements in the scene. Like, you know, if there's a flower in the foreground, like I don't want to, like really slow shutter speed because you're going to have blur, but 
generally landscape photographers don't usually think a lot about shutter speed i feel like but uh unless it's waterfalls or flowers so um i think that's interesting to talk through the dynamics of uh how it's different when you're in the ocean (laughs) yeah shutter speed is huge because one you either want to push it really low if you're going for like kind of a speed blur uh kind of photo or you want it high because like that kind of in between where you're not sure if it's just out of focus or if they're trying to do a speed blur to where it's tack sharp is really important in the water because everything's moving really fast. I've gotten speed yeah. blur photos that kind of come out cool, but I'm more of a, a fan of the tack sharp. So it's just as the sun's setting, it gets really difficult to nail that shot because you, you're running out of light, but you, you're kind of fixed on how much you um, want to move your aperture and shutter speed. Because I've also tried to shoot at like 1.4 and there's just like two millimeters of the photo that are in focus. And it's like, all right, that doesn't really look good either. Um, Cool, man. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, uh, your transition. So I know you recently moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. So talk to me a little bit about um, why you did that and uh, what are some of the things that – you're starting to learn about the differences between the two coasts. Yeah, I, I recently moved from uh, Seaside, New Jersey to Fresno, California. And I just, photography-wise, there's so much more out here to see. Um, I like to do night photography, which being like 45 minutes from New York City was almost impossible trying to get any kind of stars. Um, but yeah, I just figured I love hiking. I love doing landscape stuff. And I can also do ocean photography. Um, So it just seemed like a great move to kind of do both where New Jersey, I was kind of locked into the ocean photography because that's what was close. Um, And I didn't get to do it that often just because traditionally the Atlantic Ocean doesn't get nearly as many swells on the East Coast than uh, we do over here with the Pacific and the West Coast. What are some other realizations that that you've had in terms of... um accessibility and equipment and and the things that you want to shoot and travel to and hike to like how has that impacted your thought process well i realize california is huge uh the county i'm in and the county next to it are the size of my home state so there's a (laughs) lot more driving to do everything (laughs) yeah uh i'm assuming you're probably doing a lot more uh hiking because of that um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing just based on my own personal experience of lugging around a Nikon D800 and the Trinity lenses that, uh, that you're starting to question some of, some of your equipment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always shot Canon and now when I'm like hiking around with 40 pounds of camera equipment and like a bottle of water, it's become apparent to me that I wish I had a lot less camera equipment or it was a weight a lot less. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know me personally, I, uh, you know, I do a lot of mountain climbing and backpacking here in Colorado and, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but, uh, my, you know, I just, it, the less weight you can carry, the further you can further distance you can travel, which means it's the more stuff you can photograph. So, uh, the sooner I kind of figured that out, the faster I just realized I needed to, uh, switch to a mirrorless system and, 
and really just reduce the amount of weight I was carrying into the field. And, you know, it's funny though, it's still a challenge for me. I still want to take like five lenses with me and it's like, mm, you're going to take like one photo with that lens. Do you really need to bring that with you on this hike? Probably not. So it's a, uh, it's funny when you, when you depend on just driving around in the car, it changes your outlook on, on photography in general. Yeah, my big thing is like I never know if I'm gonna need my 100 to 400 lens. I'm just like ah, like it's got the most range. Like I might need it, but I'm probably gonna be shooting wide 90% of the time, and that lens is like 10 pounds. <laughs> I know Sony has this uh, 100 to 400 also that I've been eyeing, and I'm like, oh, it's it's a really nice lens, and mm, it weighs like a thousand pounds, so mm, probably not gonna get that lens. <laughs> That's, I don't know. It's funny. Like the, the way that you approach photography, it changes your outlook on, on how you uh, think about gear and equipment and, and just your general approach to, to things. Have you noticed that, uh, that your gear choices um, in terms of when you go out in California versus New Jersey, has it, has it caused you to change how you take photos? Um, not really, because so far I've just been packing all of my gear and my tripod and just coming back completely exhausted from walking around with way too much stuff on. <laughs> so, you're, so you've realized that it's crazy, but you haven't changed your behavior yet. <laughs> no, not yet. I still, I still know like, all right, what if I'm going to get, I'll just bring everything. I'll just be really hurting for the next couple days. <laughs> Dude, I, I hear you. I went through probably three years of that. And then I just I was like, I'm getting old. I cannot take this abuse anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's just so there's so many things to switch over because it would be all the Canon lenses, and then for me, it's also my water housing and getting oh, rid of yeah. that, and then getting a mirrorless water housing, which would also make a world of difference shooting a way smaller camera because it's like 15 pounds to drag into the water with me. Oh, for sure, no doubt. Man, I can't even imagine carrying that much stuff out into the ocean with you. At this, that's, that just seems crazy to me. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm going to drown. Yeah. Luckily it floats. <laughs> I don't, it's way harder to carry up the beach than when I actually get in the water. Cause I just kind of let it float next to me the whole time, but keep my hand on it. Whereas in the beach, just like I start to get in a, a knot in my forearm, just carrying it around the beach. Yeah. 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 Well, cool, man. So, uh, one other topic I just kind of wanted to talk about kind of coming full circle. Um, you know, we mentioned early on in the podcast that, uh, the reason this 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 podcast is happening is because you uh, won a photo contest over on Viewbug.com, and uh, I've been a member of that site for uh, probably two three years now, and I think I've I think I've only won. Well, let me let me think of a second. I think I've won two contests, and out of that, I got like I can't remember one of the prizes, but one of them I got like a a gigabyte like mini hard drive or something like that, but I still pay for the membership. Um, what, what is it about a website like Viewbug and that, that, that you enjoy? Like what are the aspects of using that site that draws you to continue to pay for the service and, and, uh, and, and, and upload photos there? Um, I guess that it's actually an audience that's going to see my photos. Um, and, just a place to use them because everyone uses Instagram. Um, but this just seems like it's more geared towards photographers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So do you have uh, specific goals in mind in terms of uh, how you would hope those uh, that audience to, like if they see your photos on Viewbug, like are you just hoping that more people see your work or are you hoping that something more comes of that interchange? Um, yeah, I guess both. Um, I'm happy when people see my work and just leave a comment and it's like, this, this uh, photo is awesome. And just, I also love getting questions like, like, how did you take this? Were you in the water? And it's like, I have no problem like explaining uh, exactly what I do. But yeah, it's just a, it's a great thing that it's really easy to go reach out to people on it. Um, and I've just, I've enjoyed posting photos on there. Um, and I've been doing it for a couple of years now. And it's like, oh, there's always, there's also always photo contests that um, you could always maybe get your photo in front of the right eyes to do mm-hmm. something. For sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I don't know. I can't personally quantify if any of my activity on that website has benefited me in terms of like uh, monetization or, um, you know, people uh, learning who I was as an artist per se. However, I do kind of agree with you. It's whether it's Flickr or Instagram or Viewbug or any other site like that, I feel like um, getting feedback and people engaging with your images, I think is always, um, as a photographer anyway, I feel like that's always a um, something that we kind of crave more as artists that uh, we want to hear what people think about our photos. Um, and I think, uh, I think a site like that and other sites that exist out there can facilitate that, that interaction. Yeah. I also, I also enjoy the contest. I like to see um, when they have a specific contest and I enter photos into it and I see like the finalists, it's just how are my photos stacking up to the people who made the finalists and what are they shooting? And it's a great place to do that as well. There's so many different kinds of contests, whether it's landscape, portraits, um, water, or whatever you're doing. And it's just cool to see uh, there's a lot of other people sh- that you've never heard of shooting a lot similar um, things that you're shooting as well. Yeah, and I think uh, the other thing uh, that I would add to that is um, what what can be interesting about a site like Viewbug that has a lot of people on the site that um, are probably more enthusiasts. You know, they're they're not necessarily professionals, but there's a lot of people that use that site that are kind of you know they 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 like taking photos, but you know they're just doing it for fun and that's cool. But what's interesting is you, uh, at least in my experience, you you can get some kind of really neat ideas by um, by looking at people's photographs on a site like that when they're when they don't have a whole lot of skin in the game per se. Like you know they're not trying to do it to they're not trying to make a business out of it. They're not trying to gain workshop followers. They're not trying to influence the trade or the craft. They're just you know, going out, taking photos, maybe their photo's cool. They want to post it to a, to a contest. And I think it's interesting. You see a lot of really kind of unique and um, interesting takes on photography in general on that site. Yeah. I've recently started getting on there and looking at a lot of other people's photos a lot more recently. And it's just amazed me at how many photographers are shooting like really outstanding photos and just 
they just shoot because they enjoy shooting. They're not like pushing their website. They're not pushing like workshops or anything like that. They, they go out and some people are taking really amazing stuff and it's just, that's their weekend hobby. They just happen to live in a place where they have amazing scenery or are willing to travel to places where they have amazing scenery and just take the time to do it. Oh, for sure. And, uh, <laughs> not not to be negative but i've also seen some really hideous photography on that website which uh you know if i look back on my first couple of years of photography i have a lot of i have a pretty large library of really terrible photography that i'm happy to show people <laughs> oh yeah uh, it's gonna happen with anything that's pretty much my flicker at this point i haven't updated it in years and i went back and looked at it this morning and i was like wow this is pretty much the first two years of when i started shooting yeah it's funny for my flicker i uh i purposely haven't gone back and deleted any of my earlier work which is like kind of embarrassing in some ways because people can see like some of some really terrible photography that i've taken and uh but but the reason i keep it up is uh for you know personally i like to look back and like oh wow look how far i've come as a photographer it's uh it's good to know like i am making progress because when you're in it for several years it's hard to kind of keep that perspective so i think it's i think it's good for us to once in a while look back on our on our old stuff and and reflect on what we've learned and where we've come from (laughs) Yeah, I, I felt the same way when I looked at mine this morning. I was like, oh, yeah, there's my first water shot. And there's, oh, I was terrible at editing that. And I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll delete all this stuff and put new stuff. And I was like, ah, I'd rather just leave it the way it is. And then every time, like, I think of it, like, oh, I'll go look at my flicker. And then I'm like, wow, I've done so much since then. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a, it's almost like a personal, like, pat on the back. Like, yeah. You're actually not 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 as bad as it looks. <laughs> yeah, it it also like maybe like remember certain trips I took and it was like wow like that would be awesome to go back there because I've never really yeah, went back man. to the same place twice and it's like oh I've seen it I want to go somewhere else but it's it would be awesome to go back to places where I wasn't necessarily great at shooting at that point and then shoot them with my eye now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I totally agree. I think. Uh, I think that's um. You look back. You, I don't know. There's certain photographers I I follow, and they're very, very, very picky about what they put out there, and they're they're very meticulous in terms of their curation and and what it is they show to the public, and and I think in terms of um, well, I won't question their motives. I think they're all pure, but you know they're they're wanting to put their best foot forward, and then you know it's like a resume, right? Like they they only want to show the world the best parts of themselves when it comes to being an artist, which I think there's some tremendous merit to that, um, as a, as a process. However, um, I think it's also sometimes cool to see that, uh, you know, we all started somewhere and, uh, and for the most part, we all kind of sucked when we first started. <laughs> yeah. I've been like astounded when I've seen like people starting out shooting now. I'm like, wow, like, they started shooting a year ago. That, that's how my photos looked like after I'd been shooting for five years. It just like, right. Just seeing things like that, like really takes me a minute. It's like, wow. Like, I guess the learning, <laughs> learning process takes longer for some people. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel. I'm like, my learning process was very long, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's a, uh, there are some people out there. Like you look at their work and they've only been shooting for like a year, maybe two years. And you're like, 
you're you're already better than me, man. Like that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really cool to see. It, I feel like photography is getting extremely popular, and there's just so amazing, so many amazing photos coming out of it. Um, and there's also so many tools that are helping you now. Like when I started, like there was like no database of like, all right, how do you, how do you shoot this? You do that. And just now it seems like, you, oh, you just Google how to do that. Especially with, with what I was doing with water photography. It like, it was right. a lot of trial and error. And then like, eventually I, I found a message board with like, like-minded surf photographers and, um, got like a lot of like water advice through there. And just the, it's amazing how like networking is working now. It's just like the learning curve is so quickly where it's, it used to be like, yeah, that might take you five years to figure out how to nail a photo like that. It's like at this point, it's like, oh, you could do that in like two weeks. Yeah. Well, and imagine what it must have been like uh, 30 years ago or 20 years ago when it was all film and you didn't have uh, you didn't have the ability to uh, get instant feedback from your camera on how well you shot the image like you had to wait at least like a week to develop your film and and take a look at your image. And then like, if you were smart, you had taken notes on each image you shot and what settings it had. And, you know, because there was no EXIF data in a film, in the film. So like you kind of had to remember like, oh, is this the one where I shot it uh, with, a, with, with this shutter speed? Or is it like... Could you imagine how how much longer of a learning curve it would have been back then? Oh, I have so much respect for the guys that were shooting film and doing it consistently, especially when yeah. I think of like surfing, because like just to only have like 32 shots when you're pushing it and knowing like, all right, I got to swim out there, make every one of these shots as good as it possibly can. And then when I want to take more, I got to swim back in, change roles and then swim back out. It's just like, I can't even imagine it. Cause I know there was guys, like I know guys doing it on the East coast and just like, you're in a five millimeter wetsuit with five millimeter gloves. Like that's really annoying to swim back in, take everything off. Cause you can't get the camera wet, take the camera out of the housing, change roles, put it back in and then swim back out to take more shots. Like it must get so cold. Right. God, man, like mad, mad props and respect for those people that kind of pioneered photography. Um, and like, like those guys, uh, if you were a successful photographer back then, like, you know, there was just way less uh, good photography back then. And the people that were good at it, I think they were pretty highly rewarded in terms of magazines and things like that. Like nowadays, in order to rise to fame and popularity and monetary value, like you have to be so ridiculously over the top nowadays, I feel like, um, stuff that we shoot now like it's like your kind of average photographer can can do pretty amazing stuff now and so i think it's interesting the supply and demand curve for photography is is an interesting kind of study for me personally i don't know about you yeah it seems like the interest has went through the roof um i i guess it comes with everyone has a photo has a camera on their phone so right. Once they start doing that, it's like, oh, like I want to move up to this, and just like really good cameras have gotten so much more affordable in the past couple of years. Well, not only that, but with the internet and social media, like 
your access to information and learning is so much more readily readily available compared to uh got could <laughs> I mean that's why back in the day like people took mentorships and like they they found a mentor and they taught them everything they know and like that stuff pretty much for the most part doesn't exist anymore which is kind of too bad because I think there there's definitely an interesting um I mean, I know there's some people out there that still engage in that kind of stuff, but it is, uh, it's just kind of a lost art now that, that kind of transfer of knowledge from a mentor to a mentee. Yeah. I mean, the internet's pretty much changed everything. Now it's mostly like online workshops or online video tutorials or something like that. And it, and that's mostly post-processing. Like there's no like sitting in the car with a map out and be like, all right, let's drive here. And that should give us a good overlook of here. And then maybe we can get the shot around sunset. It's just changed so much. Everything is like, all right, well, let me just look up on the phone exactly where the sun is going to set um, at what time, at what time of year. And then we'll just, we'll just go then. Yeah. And I think what's uh, even more interesting about that particular aspect of where we're at today is um, I, I, I think the, the speed of information in terms of, locations and techniques and all of those kind of things i think i think we haven't quite caught up with that in terms of in terms of our ethics and in terms of uh like understanding the impact of the speed of that information because back in the day it was like you had a mentor and and he would take you out into a field and he'd be like you you know, you can't step on this plant because if you step on that plant, like it's going to totally destroy it. And uh, by the way, like if you drive down this road too far, like you're going to piss off these people. Like that doesn't happen anymore. It's all just speed of information, 25 seconds in Google and you're on your way. And I think we're just starting to see the impacts of that uh, disparity between the speed of information and the speed of processing that information where 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 like people are starting to understand like oh there is an impact to my behavior and google didn't tell me that <laughs> you know yeah it's changed so much because places that used to be like really cool to go are now just tourist traps like for me i, I almost never geotag my photos or say where i'm shooting just because i'm coming from a surf surfing background where you don't name spots like if you find a cool spot, you don't tell anyone because you don't want a bunch of people to be surfing there. <laughs> so I found like, there's been so many spots in New Jersey. Everyone's like, Oh, where is it? It's like, New Jersey's not that big. Figure it out. Like, yeah. Wow, man. I want to explore that with you. So, you know, I feel, and I'm just going to throw this out there and this is just my gut reaction based on my research and thinking on this topic. But it seems to me like the key differences between surfing and photography is that for the most part there's not a whole lot of um extrinsic extrinsic value to knowing where the best uh surfing location is like it's all internal like like if i know this is a great spot it's going to reward me as a surfer and i will be able to surf this place by myself versus landscape photographer there's tremendous amount of external and extrinsic value in sharing locations um in terms of you can get 
uh, people to pay you for that information. You can get workshop clients. Um, you can, uh, like, there's so many ways to monetize information in photography that I, I feel like may, may not be the case in surfing. So as someone who does both, how do you see the differences? Yeah, I mean, I've noticed out here, it's just like if there's a landscape I want to shoot, I can find it on the internet pretty quickly and then just drive there and go shooting. If there's a surf spot I want to shoot, like there's a lot of driving around, like trying to like look at a photo I've seen of it and be like, all right, well, I think that's what was that in the background. Like no one really wants to tell you surf spots and I'm okay with that. I don't want everyone, I, I don't want every surf spot to be completely blown up to the world because then it, it ruins the novelty of finding it. And then everyone there won't be happy either. Like, New Jersey is such a small state, but there's surf spots that like I post pictures of and people like have no idea where it is. It's just like the two counties here are bigger than the entire state and much larger than the coastline. It would take no time to find it out. And I've also just, if there was somewhere I wanted to figure out for surfing, I looked at every photo I could find of it and then tried to figure out, all right, like it's, I know it's somewhere around here. What kind of swell would work there? And when would it get in and when would it be good? And I think that's something that has kind of remained in surfing. Like I'm sure that there's plenty of spots that are blown up that everyone knows about, but there still are secret spots in surfing. And that's one thing that's really cool about it. Well, I think another difference too is um, in surfing, the uh, the reward for going to that place is that you had a, an amazing surfing experience versus the reward for going to a place in photography, landscape photography is that, you have an amazing image that you want to share with the world. And I think uh, therein lies some of the, the differences in terms of why locations are more easily kept a secret for surfers versus uh, photographers. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, there's a lot more for photographers to gain out of it. I mean, there's still pictures coming out of secret spots. They're, they'll be on the cover of Surfer Magazine, but it'll be so remote that no one will like it'll be on a peninsula on like the southern part of africa that is a three-day drive to get there like <laughs> your average person isn't going there right no doubt yeah well i mean photography is kind of that way too i mean there's a lot of stuff that uh i see online that you're not going to see replicated because with just the amount of effort it takes to get to that location is just too extreme you know and i think i don't know that's some of why I shoot what I shoot because it's, it's, it's off the beaten path. Most people aren't going to go there by themselves um, and, or without a guide. So, you know, I think there are still opportunities out there for us as photographers to enjoy a place by ourselves, still be able to share that spot and know that for the most part, there's not going to be a ton of people going to that spot. Yeah. Uh I've tried to do pretty much what I do with surfing um, in my landscape photography too. Like you can look, you can go up and look at the places you want to shoot for landscapes and know that, all right, these are going to be amazing. They're going to be packed with people though. Right. And I can do the same thing with surfing. It's like, all right, I know it's absolutely going to be good here. It's going to be packed. I can try here though. And there may not be anyone there. And with hiking, I do the same thing. Like the average person doesn't want to hike like more than 10, 15 miles in a day. So if you're doing that, you can get away from a lot of the crowd. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's that's my strategy. <laughs> well, cool, man. So uh, two more questions for you. Uh, so 
You know, based on the name of the podcast, F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen, what advice would you have for other photographers? I just advise to keep shooting what keeps you passionate about shooting. Um, it's a lot. It's, nowadays, it's really easy to get caught up in social media and like, all right, well, people like this, so I'm, I'm going to shoot that. But for me, I just say keep shooting what makes you happy and don't kind of conform to whatever everyone's been shooting nowadays. I, I've been I've recently seen a, an Instagram called Insta Repeat. Yeah, and I found it amazing with how many of the same shots are done every single day. Yeah, I actually uh, talked in great length about that Instagram account uh, two episodes ago with Ben Canales. You should check it out. <laughs> oh, I definitely will. Yeah, it's um, fascinating to me as well. Actually, um, it's quickly become my personal favorite account on Instagram for my own personal selfish reasons, probably for the same reasons you have. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's like, all right, as long as I'm not shooting that, I'm doing something right. Yeah, it's funny. I saw um, someone who is a photographer, landscape photographer, that who I feel like his his most of his shots are very unique, very special. Um, he's a great photographer. Um, I saw him post today actually on that account, and he was like, like my number one goal in life now is to be featured on this this page, and I'm like, dude, it's not a it's not a badge of honor to be featured on this page. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, when the first time I saw it, I felt completely the opposite way. I was like, all right, well, as long as I don't make this page, I know I'm doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. I'm like, Oh, I hope I don't ever see my shots on this page. But if I do, it'll be a wake up call that I need to uh, maybe do something a little bit different, but that's because of my own personal goals and what motivates me in photography. I don't want to knock people that, you know, there's people that get a lot of value out of um, shooting icons and, and uh, people, you know, like everyone's motivation for taking photos is completely different. And I respect that 100%. But for me personally, like, that's not what I want to be about, you know? Oh yeah. I understand that completely. Cause like, just getting here, there's so many spots that have been shot a million times. Like, all right, like, do I not shoot it because it's been done so many times? It's still a really cool location. Like, so I just try to go there and try to get my own perspective on it and just like, all right, I know I'm not going to do anything groundbreaking. This has been being shot for the past 60 years. And in the past 10, it's probably been shot five trillion times. Right. But it's still a really interesting location. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going to a location that's just fantastically beautiful like even if it's been shot a billion times like there's still something that you can get out of that as a appreciator of that location and of nature i think there's nothing wrong with it uh it's just interesting that uh that as the artistic community gravitates towards the same imagery i think that's a fascinating uh phenomenon yeah i agree i remember when i first saw that account i was like kind of like trying to scroll through i was like oh man i am guilty of one of these i, I did do a shot like that <laughs> but I, I still kind of like the way that shot looks just because I, I like that shot but yeah i guess so do a, so do a lot of other people yeah and some of that like the, the part about that thing too is um i feel like you know we're all humans so we have that in common so there mu i think there is some part of how we're wired too as social animals that causes us to uh, to see some of the same images and locations and try to try to capture them because I I'm willing to bet that there's at least 
some of those shots that they never saw someone else do that shot. They did it too. And they're like, and then they came back and put it up and someone pointed out to them like, oh, your shot just looks like this person, this person, this person's. And it's like, oh, I had no idea. So I think it's funny how like, even as uh, people who are artistic and original, we still see the same stuff, you know? Yeah, that that would be really interesting to see like how many of the shots posted on there, like they thought they were the first one doing that right. versus they went on Instagram like, oh, this would be, I could yeah. do this. I, I have yeah, a and then they, like that right down the road. Yeah, and then they went out went out of their way to to try to like exactly replicate that same f- shot for sure. Well, cool, man. So, uh, last question: um, Who do you think would be cool to hear on this podcast? There's a guy I know that um, he used to live in Rockaway, New York, and then moved to Singapore. And he was one of my favorite uh, photographers, uh, shooting waves and then shooting landscapes and other things as well. Uh, his name is Michael Verricker. Um, he would be really cool because he's absolutely been able to nail lighting and waves. Oh, cool. And I've always been impressed with that because it's just so hard to do. Awesome. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Just swimming out, swimming out into the ocean with your camera, and then nailing the the position of the sun and the surfer and the wave. To me, like that, even if it's a lo- like location is not dependent. Like it's all like timing and skill and planning. So I super respect that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I was able to meet up with him and another friend um, one time in Rockaway, and he was since uh, New York faces south. When the sun's setting um, on the right swell, you can shoot a curl right into the sun. And he, like, he had, like, before there was photo pills, he had something else to map the sun angle to do it all summer for sunrise and sunset. And he was getting getting some really great shots out there. Nice. Well, shit, man. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been really fun to talk to you about all these topics. Oh, thanks again to David for taking the time to visit with us on the podcast this week. Um, to find out more about David, you can check out the liner notes on my blog at mattpainphotography.com. Uh, you can support us by writing a review about the podcast in the iTunes store. Really, really appreciate all the reviews that people are leaving. Um, I take what you write seriously, and it helps me improve the podcast. Uh, thanks to Montana Images for their recent five-star review. You're awesome. And lastly, uh, thanks to everyone who's supporting the podcast on Patreon. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help, uh, help me improve the podcast and do more with it. And uh, for $5 a month and higher, you gain access to all kinds of cool extras like bonus episodes. And I'm getting ready to send out some, some special gifts to people, so keep your eyes open for those. And uh, thanks, thanks again. I hope you enjoy the podcast. You can always reach out to me with suggestions or ideas um, on my website at mattpainphotography.com or on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Matt Payne Photo, Matt Payne Photography. Thanks for listening.